The cultivation of humility is essential for making any real progress on the path of moksha, liberation from eons of suffering. And what does that mean, eons of suffering? There's the suffering that we're aware of, and then there's the suffering that we're not aware of. And the, the things that we're not aware of are ancient in many ways. Genetically ancient, karmically ancient. So overcoming the junk of previous incarnations is no small task. There is no such thing as instant enlightenment. This is one of the great fallacies of Western thought, is this very simplistic and ignorant and arrogant perspective that somehow magically you can instantly overcome eons of suffering. It's simply not true. And humility is essential because it is an indication that there has been progress. If there's arrogance, if there's pride, if there's self-hatred, which is deflated ego, and then the inflated ego is pride and arrogance, then there's no real progress. Really, there's no progress at all. So the ancient yogic teachings that are written in the Upanishads and the Vedas and in biblical scripture and other scriptures, the sutras of Buddha, reveal that there is an evolutionary process that you must go through. It is a way of thinking of it is to think of a field, right? If you buy a field and you want to become a winemaker, you want to make some of the world's best wine. So you buy a field and then you plant your vine, your grapevines usually in long rows. And we've all seen the beautiful vineyards, right? And so the process of making wine starts with the planting of the field, right? So you plant either a seed or the, as a young plant. And then as over time, over many years, the grapevines mature if they are properly cared for and tended to, if the garden is weeded, right? And so your mind is like the field, right? Your body is like the field. And then your consciousness is the seed or the young grapevine planted in your heart. And once that vine is planted in your heart, then over a period of years, there is an evolution of your consciousness that can occur. 
if you tend to the field of your mind and body, if you weed your garden and you have the patience to allow this to evolve. And as this evolution matures, there's some signs of clarity. Clarity is the one thing. A tendency not to react to your circumstances the way you used to react. In fact, things that used to aggravate you can make you laugh. So these are signs of that. And one of them is humility. And humility is essential. There's nothing worse than spiritual arrogance and mundane arrogance. They're they're kind of two sides of the same coin. Two sides of the ego. Spiritual arrogance, mundane arrogance is the inflation of ego, which can happen when you awaken to the pure consciousness that's alive in your heart. When you awaken to that consciousness, there is a euphoria. There is a bliss beyond anything you might have experienced when you have a direct realization of your eternal nature. Your eternal nature is bliss, is love, is pure presence. And so in that awakening process, the ego will inflate and that feels great until it deflates again. When the mind comes back in with the story of self-hatred with the story of your past. And as long as the story is captivating your attention, whether it's a spiritual story, a mundane story, a story of sadness and despair, or a story of enlightenment and realization, this is the paradox of mind that must be relinquished. So you can't walk around with two dead fish in your pocket, right? You can't walk around with two dead fish in your pocket. One fish is ignorance and the other is pride, arrogance, right? So those are the name of the two fish, arrogance and ignorance, and they stink. So if you've experienced awakening to the consciousness that you are and you are deluded into thinking that you are the enlightened master instantly, that you are one with the Buddha, one with Christ, you are, you are God, this is the danger of instant awakening because that means the ego is still there, the dead fish of ignorance and arrogance are still in your pockets and it reeks. You might feel bliss, but states of bliss come and go. And even if you are able to maintain a state of bliss for a period of time, eventually it goes because that's the nature of all states. 
The teaching of Ramana Maharshi has nothing to do with states of consciousness. The teaching of Ramana Maharshi has nothing to do with states of consciousness that change. Everything he said, everything he did, his entire life was devoted to the self. And the self is the vast presence of God, Shiva, the great illumination, the unseen light. His life was devoted to that which does not change. So all states change. But on the path of enlightenment, the focus is on the stateless state of Turiya, which is pure conscious awareness. And it lives in his primary teaching, see the seer. And that teaching came directly from his master, the mountain, the sacred mountain, Arunachala Shiva. It arose from the mountain, and it's documented in the marital garland of letters, the poem that Ramana wrote about the love and devotion he had for his teacher, the sacred mountain, Arunachala. So to think that bliss states are a sign that you're making progress is one of the great lies that's being propagated by Western thinking about Ramana and his teaching. There is no such thing as instant enlightenment. There is no such thing as wine really, really good wine happening instantly. Once you harvest the grapes and process the wine, you filter out everything and you put it in barrels to sit for years so that it matures and deepens and gets rich. And your spiritual practice is the same. It takes years of mature practice, of mindfulness, becoming more aware of your thoughts and the stories that you weave in your mind. And if you give your attention to the stories that you are weaving in your mind, you will suffer. That's conscious suffering. It's ignorance. Spiritual arrogance is no different than the deflation of ignorance. The arrogance of I am awake, I am free, I am one with the self. All of these thoughts actually hold you back from the deeper realizations that come on the wings of humility. So the humble one doesn't want to be seen as special, unique, awake, woke. This is the spiritual arrogance. 
So to humble yourself is to recognize that this process takes a long time and it's definitely tied to how you integrate the practices into your life. And the practices are very simple. It's turning your attention inward into the realm of your heart again and again and again through meditation, through self-inquiry, through the mantra, the hymns, the ancient hymns of the Vedas, the vibration of those sounds open your heart. Every tradition, every religion uses music to open the heart and the mind to the divine. And there's a kind of laziness in the Western mind. We, want, we like the idea of instant enlightenment, and so we don't practice because we think we're done. We think we're enlightened. We think we, we're awake, we're woke. So this spiritual arrogance can actually stop you from the mature practice that you need to make progress. And progress is clarity. Progress is equanimity. Progress is resting in the unchanging presence of the Turiya stateless state. It's a stateless state, meaning it is unending. This is the nature of true yoga, is when you are resting in the stateless state of pure awareness and you become less and less at the effect of your mind and ego. Your feelings are not easily hurt. You're very clear. You naturally are compassionate from this place of deep, unending silence, love, and compassion. But it's not the fake compassion of, oh, I should be compassionate, <laughs> right? I should be compassionate because I'm awake. <laughs> And so there's this fake compassion, which comes from mind and a suppression of what you're actually feeling. So truth-telling to yourself is essential. And part of inquiry is recognizing that whatever the mind comes up with, it's not who you are, nete nete. The nete nete am now is to let everything not to believe a single thing you think. Not a single thought. And definitely not the story of enlightenment or the story of self-hatred to rule your life. Life is now. Always now. But then if you try to stay in the now, you miss the whole point. There is no staying in the now. You're never separate from now. It's impossible to be separate from now. It's impossible to be separate from the omniscience of God. How can you possibly leave omniscience? How can you lose the Turiya state? Is that even possible? 
So humility is one of the indicators, right, that you're making progress. If you're just humble, like you realize the awesomeness of the vast omniscient presence and the vast intelligence that it is. If you recognize how insignificant you are in the context of the cosmos, the Earth itself, if you look at the Earth standing on Mars, it's just a little blue dot on the horizon of Mars. And then you look out at the universe, the Earth itself and everyone on it are shrunk to this tiny, tiny, tiny microscopic level. And then if you hold your story in this microscopic perspective, it has less and less power over you because it, it isn't significant in the context of the con cosmos, right? The entire universe and the power of the universe, which emerges from the vast, still, intelligent, unseen presence of God. So it's very humbling and awesome and evokes wonder. And then this clarity comes in correlation with your practice. As you practice and commit to practice, to integrating a practice. And a practice can be simple. A practice can be something as simple as I am. So hum. Breathing in so, exhaling hum. I am, I am, I am. Just that focuses the mind on the heart. And if you intentionally focus on the heart, it deepens that practice. I am. I am is the name of God, pure presence, unmoving, unchanging, always here, omniscient. You can't leave it. It doesn't change. It's not a bliss state that comes and goes. It has nothing to do with bliss states, sadness states, anger states, stress states, anxiety states. These are all states that arise when you give your attention to the mind and your circumstances and identify with the mind, the story, and the circumstances. When you're identified with all that, it leads to suffering. So transcendence of suffering is to live from heart. To live from heart requires practice. Because even though you might be aware that presence arises or the self is in your heart, you won't necessarily go there. You won't give your attention to the heart. You give your attention to your mind, your, what's going on in your life, what you want, what you don't want. And then if self-inquiry becomes a process of getting rid of your self-hatred or what you don't want, or your shadow child, or whatever is arising in mind, if it's a strategy to get rid of, it, it loses its power. It's dead. So sometimes you have to throw out a mental inquiry because it's dead. 
It's, a, it's become a strategy to get rid of what you don't want. And that never works. So another aspect of cultivating your garden is to surrender to the vast unseen presence, which means you merge with that through practice, through silent meditation, through singing, pranava yoga, very powerful yoga that Ramana recommended, which trains your mind to focus on the presence of the heart. You have to train your mind to do that. It doesn't naturally do that. It's counterintuitive to the mind. The mind wants to focus outward. The mind wants to focus on getting ahead and the desires of the world. It doesn't naturally want to go into the peace of the heart. So it has to be cultivated like you cultivate a garden. And then you have to have the patience to realize it takes time for that spiritual realization of pure awareness to evolve. For your consciousness to evolve takes time. It's not instant. Like fine wine takes many, many years. And the longer wine remains in a barrel, the better and better it gets, right? The more you develop your practice, whatever that practice is, and the more you integrate it into your life as a mature practice, the more and more you will make progress, which is you'll naturally be humble, naturally be compassionate. You'll recognize that enlightenment is the ordinary deepening of human consciousness, not the spiritual arrogance of I'm special, I'm powerful, I'm the holy anointed Satguru. This is crazy thinking. This is mental. It has nothing to do with the reality of organic awakening, organic evolution of your consciousness, which is a purification. There's no avoiding the purification process to remove most of what you are removing is unconscious. So you can't do it through conscious thinking. There's no way to think yourself to enlightenment. There's no way to think yourself to liberation. Understanding is essential. Essential context is important. Understanding that there are impurities in your mind and body that must be burned through or removed through the energy of yogic practice. This is the context, but then there's the actual doing of the practice that must happen. And it cannot be avoided. And the more you look at it as a way of life, the more you integrate the practices into your daily routine, the more and more the sacred fire will grow, your devotion will grow, your bhakti will grow, your bhakti devotional practice will grow, your yana practice, a deeper understanding of yourself will grow. But it grows slowly over time in correlation with the yogic practices as a sacred fire, 
that burns away all of this residue from previous incarnations and the residue from the past, things that have happened to you in this life. So those are the things that you may or may not be aware of, right? And it's 95% of what you're dealing with is completely unconscious. So this is why the practices are absolutely essential. You need to cultivate the energy of practice, which is learning to focus your attention on the source of your attention. Focusing your attention on the source of your attention is essential. But you, again, can't do this through thought. You can do it through the mantra, through OM. Just OM. I am. Simple practices. You can start there and evolve that. OM BUR Tat Savituvarinyam Bargo Devasya Dimahi Diyoyona Prachodayatu Powerful Gayatri Mantra affects the entire body. It's a purification. It's like going into a Native American sweat lodge. That's also a purification practice of prayer and literally sweating, putting yourself in the heat of the lodge, right, is releasing, purifying the body and mind. Devotion to God, loving God, which is unseen, trusting the unseen, surrendering to the unseen. This is the integration of the practice, the yoga of wisdom includes intelligence of study, studying the scriptures, studying the scripture of Ramana Maharshi, the Ramana Gita. If you have not read the Ramana Gita, you do not know Ramana Maharshi. If you have not sit in the presence of his master, then you don't know Ramana Maharshi. If you think Ramana Maharshi is a man that died in 1950, then you don't know. Ramana Maharshi. Ramana is the living eternal presence alive in you. Jesus is the living eternal presence alive in you, the Logos. Buddha is the living eternal presence, Sunyata, alive in you, right? So the message is you must integrate and cultivate humility. Humble the mind by surrendering to your heart. Humble your mind by surrendering to the heart and recognize that true enlightenment is ordinary. It's becoming authentically human. It's telling the truth about your humanity telling the truth about how difficult it is to climb the mountain of consciousness which you cannot see. The power of Arunachala is not the form, it's the formless presence of God that it radiates. And that radiation is alive within you 
as electromagnetic light. And when you dive into your heart through the power of yogic practice, then you burn in the sacred purifying fire of God. And it takes however long it takes. It might be lifetimes. This life might just be learning to practice. It might just be that, just consistently practicing, not practicing once in a blue moon or once in a while or when you feel like it, but all the time, all the time, everywhere, every second, every moment, every breath, every heartbeat, every precious breath, every precious heartbeat, and recognize that you don't have a lot of time. The construct of time is meaningless. You think you have until you're 80 or 90 years old, but people who are young die every single day. So you don't know if you have a tomorrow. So don't waste your time on things that don't matter. Don't waste your time on stories in your mind. Don't waste your precious life on the past. Focus instead on the heart. Integrate the practices into your life. Be patient. Cultivate humility. Cultivate humility. Surrender your mind to the heart. Om Shanti. Shanti, Shanti Om. Oh.